invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament, the words of the Lord by Moses to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 in connection with Lord's Day 50. Deuteronomy chapter 8, I want to read the entire chapter with you. Hear the word of God with me. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs and that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, out of which, whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which you were fire, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end, that you may say in your heart, my power and my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord our God. Thus far, would you then turn with me in the back of your Psalter hymnal to Lord's Day 50. I find that on page 895, question and answer 125. Page 895. 
and I remind you that this is your confession of faith as it is mine. And the question is asked of us, what does the fourth petition mean? And we confess that it means, give us this day our daily bread means, provide for all our physical needs, so that we may recognize <clears throat> that you are the <coughs> that you are the only source of everything good, and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Thus far the reading of God's holy word and the summary of that word as we find it in the creeds and confessions of the church. May God add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching again this evening. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, God created man as one simple yet complex being. God created man with body and soul united together. And scripture tells us that both belong to the Lord. We even confess that in the very opening salvo of our confession of faith. In Lord's Day 1 already, we confess that we are not our own, but we belong in body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul exhorts us to flee from the sin which is, which is committed against our own body, such as in the case of gluttony and drunkenness and fornication. He writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 21, Do you not know? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have of God? And you are not your own, for you were, you were bought at a price. And so he says, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so, although our most important concern needs to be that of nurturing our eternal souls, and although it is true that we are not to set our minds on earthly things, yet there does remain a proper recognition of our dependence upon God also for things earthly, earth, things temporal, things material. We are taught by Christ and his disciples to be content, having food and clothing, but taught us with equal vigor in the scripture is the fact that it is our calling to seek that food and that clothing from God's fatherly hand. Already in the Old Testament, we hear the prayer of a certain Agar who goes to God and he asks, Oh Lord, oh Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. You can read that in Proverbs 30, verse 8. And if we now put those preliminary thoughts and pieces together, then we already learn that, number one, our bodies belong to the Lord. And number two, God has promised to provide for also our bodies. And three, it is our obligation to go to him in prayer, seeking the necessary provision for our bodies. And now our confession this, after, this evening speaks of these things, and I want to administer God's word to you this evening, following the leading of the catechism, using as my theme, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We want to consider, first of all, the confession contained in this petition. We then want to examine the content of this petition. And finally, we want to consider the consequence of the confession. And so the first lesson that we learn from this fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer is our complete dependence upon God for the preservation of our lives. 
The very fact that we even go to God asking him to provide our physical needs demonstrates already our dependence upon him for our daily needs. Why would we go to God if it was not to him that we attribute all that we have and all that we receive? Oh, in our highly industrial, mechanized, and technical world, this truth seems somewhat more difficult to capture. In our home, my wife and I have a couple of reproductions hanging on the wall over our dining room table. And perhaps you're familiar with these paintings. They're quite well known. And, and also because when they were first produced, they created quite a stir. They generated quite a controversy. And if you want to know the history, then you can look that up online. But the two paintings were done by a certain Jean-Francois Millet. And they are called the Angelas and the Gleaners. And depending on your perspective, in the one painting, we see men and women stopping after planting season. After the last seed was planted in the ground, the workers stopped to pray for God's blessing upon the harvest. And then in the next picture, in the next picture, we see men and women gratefully and industriously gathering in the harvest. And that was all so well understood back then. Men and women planted, but then they relied totally on the blessing of God upon the work of their hands in order to receive their daily food. But today, God seems much more removed from the day-to-day -day provisions for men and for women. Decades ago, our dependence on God provided our daily, to provide our daily bread was, was much more obvious even. A number of decades ago, much of society still lived on the family farm, and the, and, and, and the dependence upon God to provide the necessary sun and showers was much more intimately realized. However, today, with grocery stores stocked from floor to rafter, it's much more difficult to make the connection between God and our daily bread. But that emphasis on God's providence needs to be recaptured, even by us today. The world, and often, tragically, even in the church, frequently the world and the church neglects God in their daily lives. Many people today act as if God really had nothing to do with their daily bread and butter. In fact, many people who use this prayer do so only out of outward form or custom or superstition, tradition. They formally ask God to give us this day our daily bread, but they never act as if they true, had truly received it from God. And, and, and for the world, that is understandable, for after all, our bread comes from the bakery, our milk comes from the dairy, our meat comes from the butcher shop, and corn comes to us in cans from the grocery store. But that may not be the view of God's people, because they know better. My dear people, God, capture this with me. Man's failure to recognize God as the giver and the sustainer of life arises from the perspective from which modern man views the world and the universe. Through the teaching of naturalism and evolutionism, man has lost sight of two fundamental facts about God. Man has forgotten that God is the almighty creator, sustainer, and man has lost sight of God's personal love and care for every one of his created beings. And in this context, the most pressing need of the hour is that men and women, even men and women in the church, would recapture or regain knowledge of the biblical teaching about the nature of God and his relationship to our physical lives.
congregation, it is sometimes said that the Lord's Prayer can be neatly divided into two sets of three petitions. And it is then said that the first three, in the first three we ask for the things of God, and then in the last three we ask for things for ourselves. And on the surface, without using our minds for a moment, that would seem to be plausible and proper. After all, the first three petitions read, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then the last three read, Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. And on the surface, that division seems correct. First three petitions concerning the things of the Lord, then three petitions concerning the things of men. But would that be correct to divide the prayer that way? I think not. Follow with me. You see, when we divide the prayer into two halves, one seeking the Lord's honor and the the second addressing man's needs, then the need for our daily bread is placed ahead of our need for forgiveness of sin. And we know that can't be right. Congregation, what we need to see and understand is that all of the six petitions, each and every one, all of the six petitions have to do with God's glory and God's honor. And all of the needs of man are sought and given him in order that God may be glorified. In other words, the petition for daily bread is laid upon us by our Lord in order that we would ask it and receive it from our Heavenly Father, but we are to seek the bread, we are to ask for it, we are to receive the bread, and we are to use the bread in order to obtain the necessary physical strength required for us to actively work towards doing the will of the Lord and furthering his kingdom so, so, uh, 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 so that his name may be hallowed and honored. And that's precisely what we find in the opening words of this question and answer. The question reads, what is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread. Means that it be, will be pleased, O Father, be pleased to provide for our bodily needs that we may thereby acknowledge thee to be the only fountain of all good. In other words, in other words, we are to seek and to receive, we are to seek and to ask and to receive all of our bodily needs from the Lord in order that we might use them to acknowledge and to praise and to glorify God. Congregation, the confession contained in this petition, it's not an easy one to make. It doesn't come naturally for us to cast all of our cares upon the Lord. You see, our natural tendency, what comes naturally to us, is to, is to think in materialistic terms. And the, the basic tenet of materialism is to, is to posit the claim that our earthly goods do not come from God, for, but from our own industry or our own ingenuity. And that materialistic philosophy takes many different forms. The most obvious one, of course, is, that, is, is the man who thinks that he must go out into the world and take what I can get. And such persons are always in the front of the row, pushing everyone else behind. 
They must be there first because they need to get the good deals or the good opportunities. And they must take advantage before someone else has the opportunity. And according to them, their daily bread comes from their own personal efforts at manipulation and by the strength of their own ingenuity and insight. And that was precisely what we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The warning was against seeing their earthly goods coming to them because of their own wisdom. And at bottom, such people are not concerned about others. They separate the spiritual, they separate the Sunday from the physical six days, and often they betray a great lack of any real honest ethic when it comes to obtaining their daily bread. They are not so much concerned about honesty and integrity, but they are more concerned about getting ahead. They're not concerned about honesty and integrity, much less concerned about the glory of God. They are concerned about getting ahead. And so when such people then achieve a measure of success, they attribute that fortune to their own effort. We hear them over and over, I worked hard for what I have. I slaved night and day. I built up my business and and my wealth through hard work, and I am now entitled to the benefits of my hard work and my ingenuity. And you notice there that all of the focus, all of the credit for earthly possession goes to man himself, as if God did not even exist. And such a person certainly does not confess God as being the fountain or the source of all good. I saw such an attitude clearly displayed when years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of providing daycare for a family of three little girls of a neighbor while their mother worked. We learned to love those girls as our own. And among other things, we taught them with the rest of our family to pray before and after their meals. And the eldest girl, at about four years of age at that time, wanted to do the same at home. But her dad angrily admonished her, insisting that the food on the table did not come from God at all. It was provided by dad, working for it and paying for it. He obviously denied God's provision and providence. But the same denial of God's providence can also take other forms. You see, for instance, how many people do not place all of their confidence in their paycheck from their employer? And such people reason that it is the employer, it is the company that provides for them. The company provides their income. The company provides the benefits, his his security, his health care. And so the company has also his allegiance. And he was to panic should he lose his job. The sin is the same. Sundays in church, we need the Lord for our souls. But during the week, it's every man for himself to seek out from where or by whom his physical needs will be met. In this same context, we see those who rely upon the state. Even among organized religion, many have succumbed to what amounts to socialism. The state is believed to be responsible for her citizens, and and through a system of elaborate tax schemes, the government raises funds to meet the physical needs of the citizens. Nowhere is that more obvious than in some of the schemes of your own government. Think of the lottery scams run by your own government. People are urged to violate God's norms for, uh, for stewardship by their own government in order that the government can raise more money for itself. And so in that way, it can produce so-called social programs for the population. 
we need to walk carefully here for a moment. People of God, if we believe that the source of our daily bread, if we believe that the source of our daily physical needs is from our own hard work, from the company for whom we work, in the union who protects our jobs, in the social welfare programs of the state, in the windfall of a lottery ticket, then it is of no avail for us to pray this fourth petition. For deep within our own hearts, then we do not look to God at all. And, and our prayer is with the lips only and not from the heart, since we look to other sources to provide for our physical needs. And our prayer then becomes an abomination before the Lord, and you had best stop your prayer. We need to understand that when we take this prayer upon our lips, when we take the prayer that the Lord has taught us upon our lips, then we are confessing that God and God alone is the fountain of all good. And that implies that we look to him and to him alone for all that we need, be that physically or spiritually. In fact, we need to understand that when we speak of God as being the fountain of all good, we need to be reminded of the language of the Belgian Confession, Article 1, that speaks of God being the overflowing fountain of all good. Earthly fountains, earthly wells can and do run dry, but this is an everlasting, overflowing fountain. It's an overflowing fountain that always gives, always provides, and does so abundantly. And then to think that in that fountain, to think that that fountain is our Father, our Father who is in heaven. People have got this confession, this petition, is not only for Sunday, but it's also from Monday to Saturday as well. God alone provides for me and for my family and for the church and for all of our needs in all circumstances. In all of our spiritual and physical needs, God provides. But, 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 and now follow carefully, having said that, this is not to say that we might, might ask and then simply sit back and wait for God's, God's providence. No, we are taught that God provides, but God uses means by which we are to receive what he provides. To that end, the statement in the question that all of our care and labor can do no good without God's blessing. Follow with me. The confession speaks of all of our care and labor. After clearly teaching and identifying that we are to trust completely in God and in God alone for our physical needs, we are then taught that we too have a great responsibility ourselves. The Catechism wants us to understand that we have care and that we are to labor. In other words, in other words, ora et labora, work and pray. Ask it from the Lord indeed, but recognize also your obligation to, uh, to fulfill and to uphold your own and your own obligation. On the positive side, that means that we pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. But then we rise to our feet and we do the things that the Lord requires of us toward that end. We work, we go to our jobs, we plant the crops in our gardens, we lay up provisions, we make up budgets, and we see to it that we live within our means. Indeed, the Lord provides, but the Lord also taught us that he who does not work while able will also not eat. People of God, we have been created with a mandate to work according to our abilities and our talents. And, and Christians may not sit idly by and then expect the state or the church or welfare to provide for them. We are called to labor faithfully. The Bible does not admonish those who cannot work, but it certainly speaks clearly against those who will not work. The Lord does not bless sluggards and lazy people. 
So what does it mean to pray, give us this day our daily bread? It means that we know (coughs) and we believe that without the Lord's blessing, none of our work, none of our care, none of our gifts can profit us. That, my dear congregation, is the whole point. Without God's blessing, all of our care, all of our work, all of our efforts, all of our concern, all of our gifts we have received can profit us absolutely nothing. That's the basic thrust of this confession. When we pray, O Father, grant us this day our daily bread, then we are asking God to not only supply and provide, but we're also begging him to to add his blessing upon that which we need for our physical well-being. We're asking the Lord for his blessing upon our work, upon our labor. And that blessing of the Lord is the basic element in our lives which gives meaning and purpose to all that we have, all that we do, or all that we receive. But what just do we mean when we say that we need the Lord's blessing? Well, simply put, to be under God's blessing means the opposite of being under God's curse. And we all know what that means. To be under God's curse means to be outside of God's fellowship, outside of God's favor, outside of God's communion. It means that God is not our Father. But to be under God's blessing means that God has taken us up in His love to be His children. People of God, we know ourselves to be under the blessing of God, and it is to be it is to be the spirit of Psalm 127. You know what it means here. You can build a beautiful house. You can have all sorts of things. You can have great care over your things. You can stay up and work all day and all night to provide for yourself. But if the Lord is not with you, then you do it all in vain. The big house then is nothing but an empty shell. That new home that you built is only a false front. The new building, even the new building of the the addition onto this building, unless it receives the Lord's blessing, it's only a facade. Unless the Lord builds the house, the weary builders work in vain. And then all of the efforts at building will come to naught. It doesn't, if it does not receive the Lord's blessing, there will be no happiness in our work or even happiness in, in the success of our work. When we work at anything without the Lord's blessing, we will have no true peace. Our bank accounts might grow, but we have no rest or peace. And that peace cannot be bought or earned. It must be given us by the Lord. Rest in Christ. Peace with God with respect to our plans, our gifts from God. And without that gift, our toil, our work our labor will be in vain and it will bring us no real joy or happiness. The basic consideration of this confession this evening congregation is then not for bread. It's not even for earthly needs. It is a petition for the blessing of God's, of God, a blessing of God upon the work of our hands. When we pray, Father, grant us this day our daily bread then we are asking, O Father, grant us what we need this day, physically, and may all that we receive, may we use it as thy children. May we use these gifts in thy service 
for the furthering of thy kingdom, for the glory and the honor of thy name. Father, grant us thy blessing upon the work of our hands in order that we might glorify and magnify thy name. People of God, in Numbers chapter 11, we read of a, a remarkable story which very clearly images for us precisely what the Lord wants us to know in this petition. Perhaps you remember this story. The book of Numbers chronicles the journey of the children of Israel from Sinai to the plains of Moab. You remember, don't you? The Lord had sent the angel of death to the Egyptians, and he had spared all those who sought refuge under the blood of the Lamb, and he had miraculously crossed them and all their children, their cattle and wealth, out of the house of Egyptian bondage. He led them through the dry land on the bottom of the riverbed, and he had destroyed the Egyptian Pharaoh and all of his hosts who sought to bring them back into slavery. But... You know the story. But the people soon became dissatisfied. They grumbled about the manna they were given to eat, and they longed for a return to the leeks and the onions and pomegranates of Egypt. They were not satisfied with the portion that the Lord had allotted them. They wanted more. Give us meat, man, they said to Moses. Give us meat, man. At least in Egypt we had all this good food, and here we have nothing but this manna stuff. And we're sick of it, man. We want more. Moses goes to God with the burden of the Israelites. And in answer to the prayer of Moses, the Lord sends another miracle. A strange wind brought quail, fat and plump, keeping them at a, at a height of about three feet so they could easily be killed and eaten by the Israelites. But we read that the Israelites were so consumed by greed that rather than witnessing the miracle and seeing it as coming from the hand of the Lord, rather than killing and eating what they needed for the day, trusting that the Lord would provide on the morrow. Instead, they being consumed with greed. They worked feverishly for two days and gathered so much that each family had approximately 60 bushels of quail. And the Lord, being so angry with their greed, withheld his blessing and they died with the meat of the quail still stuck between their teeth. You see, congregation, the confession recognizes the great danger of getting caught up in a spirit of materialism or greed. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, we ask the Lord not just for our bodily needs to be met in life. We're asking the Lord to grant us not a good life, but a redeemed, sanctified life. We're asking for a life that will be crowned materially in order that we might be able all the more to live gratefully. We ask for God's blessing for without it we die forever. And then finally the catechism sums it all up saying, Grant therefore that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in thee. Notice with me for a moment the word therefore. In other words, we said, grant therefore. In other words, because God is the only fountain of all good, because his blessing is all important, because by nature we are prone to trust in our own ingenuity, therefore, says the creed, therefore we must withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in God. Discern carefully here. The catechism is not telling us that we may not build up a certain relationship for our material and physical well-being. We're not told here not to find work. 
We're not told not to save money, not to plan for the future or any day. No, the confession here is asking us, to whom do you look? Where do you look every day for your daily bread? The confession is asking basically, fundamentally, and ultimately, whom do you trust? Capture this concept with me for a moment. Once each year, you and I are required by law to file an income tax return. And one of the first questions I am asked on that form reads, how many dependents do you have? And in the spirit of this confession, I ought to write zero. Is my family dependent upon me? Should my wife and children look to me? And beyond that, should I look to my employer? Should I be dependent upon the company that employs me? Should I be dependent upon them to provide for me so that my dependents can look to me to provide for them? Some people, even some Christian people, would answer that question in the affirmative. But if I put my trust in the company and it goes bankrupt, then what? Well, we could turn to the state with all of its programs of welfare and social assistance. Can we really? Our country already has a deficit of billions, perhaps trillions, I don't know. What shall then I depend upon? Shall I depend upon my carefully invested real estate holdings? But what if the real estate market tanks? Well, then I will still always have my stocks and my shares and my bonds and my mutual funds and investments. But those dollars could be worth only pennies overnight. What then? You begin to get the picture. The Lord requires that we be good stewards over his gifts, but he also insists that we put our trust, our confidence in nothing and no one other than in him. The Catechism calls us to abandon all hope in creatures, rightly so. Anything that is created may not have our trust, because all things created are subject to change and to decay. When we put our trust in creatures, then we place our trust in things that are temporary, transitory, and yet how often don't we do precisely that? We put our trust in our carefully gathered assets. We look at our good running business, our good running farm. We depend upon our, our social or on our security checks and on our social assistance programs and our pensions. And if these things were to fall away, then we feel that all would be lost. But when this petition is prayed from the heart, then we are obligated to place our complete trust in the Lord. My dear precious saints of God, understand this with me. Capture this concept. It is urgent for you. The word place in this context, place our trust. The word place, it's a verb. It's an action word. More correctly, is a word that commits us to an action. It commits us to make conscious decisions, to put our trust in God, and then to also live as though we meant it. It means to put our trust in God permanently and definitely in good times and in bad. My dear brothers and sisters gathered with me here in Bowmanville to speak of God's providence in good times, that's not so hard. But what about those times when God seems to have pulled the carpet out from under our feet? What then? People of God, it is good, it is good to be tested. Hard indeed, but good. It is good to be tested. It is good for us that we see the consequences of this petition. Whoever prays this petition from the heart 
puts everything on the line in one hope, in one God, and Father of us all. He has given his promise that our bread would be certain and we can depend on that. But he also often puts our faith to the test. If the widow in Elisha's day would have thought to herself, how foolish to gather all of these empty jars. How foolish to collect these vessels and clutter up my house. I have nothing to put in them anyway. Had she even thought that, she would have perished with her children. But in faith, she gathered every container she could lay her hands on. And her faith filled those empty jars. And her faith saved her eternally. When we learn to live by faith, when we learn to put our complete trust only in God, then we are safe and secure and completely free from all alarm and anxiety. Oh, sure, we will still have cares and concerns, and on occasions we will worry, but we will not be anxious. We will still work, but not as slaves to achieve our ends, oh no. Then we receive from God without being concerned about even holding on to, much less increasing that which we receive. That way we experience the blessing of God. Along with the daily bread that perishes, we will then also know of that eternal bread of life. And we will know that he who did not spare his only begotten son, but freely gave him up for us all, he will also give us every good thing in him. Shall we pray?